0: We'll hear argument now, number eighty-two, rather 1606 Tennessee Student Assistance Corporation versus Pamela Hood. Uh, Mr. Brand.
1: Mr. Chief Justice, and may I please the court, this court's decisions recognize that even in subject areas where Article One grants Congress complete and exclusive authority to make laws, unconsenting states are still immune from suits by private parties.
2: Well, let's talk a little bit about the notion that's uh, raised in one or more of the amicus briefs that a bankruptcy proceeding is akin to an NREM proceeding or is an NREM proceeding, such as might be the case in an admiralty suit, where we would think the state would be bound. Now, uh, would you address that argument, which I found possibly Persuasive.
1: C- certainly, Your Honor. We would submit that there, there is no authority from this Court supporting the view that there is an in-rem exception from sovereign unity in the bankruptcy context. The argument instead is made by analogy, as Your Honor referred, uh, to the, the Admiralty case of Deep Sea Research. Uh, but the Deep Sea Research case is limited to the Admiralty context. It's limited to uh, the special aspects of Admiralty law that had developed over — hundreds of years, certainly 200 years of, of our nation's existence. Well, why doesn't
2: it fit in the bankruptcy context, too, where the debtor's assets are assembled in kind of an NREM proceeding and the creditors uh, share in it? It could have very unfortunate consequences, certainly, if, if your position were upheld.
1: Well, Your Honor — Although there certainly are in rem aspects to bankruptcy jurisdiction in the context of dealing with the property of the estate that is before the court and that is in the custody of the court, bankruptcy jurisdiction also embraces uh, other other aspects of in personam jurisdiction involving uh, the parties and, and personal relationships. Well,
3: could we just stick with the in rim for a moment? Suppose there's $100,000 on the usual free for all. Uh, because they're more, the, the, the debts uh, exceed that amount. The state gets notice. It decides it's not going to appear. Uh, the uh, uh, bankrupt is, is discharged. Uh, at the very least, if the state then later sues on the debt, is the dis- can the discharge be set up as a defense?
1: Well, Your Honor, there, there is authority from, from lower courts that, that it could, in fact, and that in in that situation uh the, the state might be bound by a general discharge order.
0: Well what what happened here was something uh where where a summons was issued to the state wasn't it it was uh, the state didn't just remain outside and do nothing. Well that's
1: that's exactly right your honor and it also is a situation in which the state was not making
3: a claim against the the property of the bankrupt. Yes it's hard to think of a debt as part of a breeze I I can't quite and that get the And I understand, but just, uh, on the basic point of whether or not, just for a discharge of a debt, the state can be bound, you say you think it might be uh, plausible that the state would be bound by the judgment if it later sues on the debt.
1: I don't want to concede that point, Your Honor. I think there is authority certainly that would, that could support that. And there are decisions from the, from the circuit courts, particularly the fourth, the fifth, and the ninth, Uh, which have held that a discharge order under those circumstances would be binding against the state. But each of those courts has also upheld sovereign immunity as a bar to a suit against the state, uh, as the state (coughs) asserts in this case. This is not a normal suit against the state.
4: This is a suit in which the debtor seeks authority to get a discharge, isn't it? That's right, Your Honor, except that... Uh, so the proceeding itself is to determine whether or not she's entitled to a discharge on the debt at issue.
1: Yes, she isn't, she has already received a bankruptcy discharge, a blanket discharge from debts. This is a proceeding to determine if this particular debt qualifies under that. And the way the statute is written, the way, the way Congress has set this up is that the debt is Presumptively non-dischargeable. It is an exception from discharge until such point as the debtor establishes undue hardship, at which point the debt would be absolved and she would, she would in effect have a discharge. But, uh, again, by
4: by the nature of the way that — If she prevails in that disputed factual matter, then it would be just like any other discharge case. If the, if the hearing goes forward and she prevails as a matter of fact, then it would be just like any other discharge case, wouldn't it?
1: No, it wouldn't, Your Honor. A normal discharge case uh, would essentially not involve at all the adjudication of individual debts. The, the discharge No, is, I'm saying if she
4: prevails on the disputed issue's fact, thereafter, it would be just like a normal discharge
1: case. It, it, yes, I, if I'm understanding, Your Honor, yes, she would have, in effect, a discharge from that debt.
5: Yes. W- moreover, the, the, the fact that this proceeding had to be brought against the State — was purely uh, a result of congressional disposition congress could have treated these debts uh, to the state like all other debts in which case they would have been automatically discharged that's exactly right your honor so so that the the argument that uh, the bankruptcy the in rem nature of the bankruptcy procedure gives uh, gives her all the protection that the Constitution at least requires vis-à-vis the state, it seems to me, is a strong one. It's only because of the statute that uh, that this action had to be brought. If Congress really wants to uh, discharge her from debts to the state, it could have done so by simply treating the state like
1: all other debtors. I think that's exactly right, Your Honor. The debt could be treated as a discharged debt, uh, in which case the state would certainly be bound by the operation of that law. But that isn't is not it, — isn't it,
6: isn't it odd that you are — objecting to this proceeding, where if Congress then said, okay, we'll make it dischargeable, you will be worse off. In other words, Congress is trying to ameliorate the ordinary effect of the bankruptcy law to (coughs) give the State an advantage. And your argument is to the effect of, Congress, you can treat us just like all the others and we'll be worse off than we are now, but once you give us this favor, then you — the, the, the law is unconstitutional. You can't give us a favor. That seems to be the essence of your argument.
1: No, Your Honor. I, I, would, I would submit our argument — our argument is not that the State is immune from the effect of the statute that would allow discharge upon showing of undue hardship. We would recognize that that is, that is an appropriate part of the, of, of the exercise of Congress's bankruptcy power. Our issue is with the provisions — which are there by virtue of the nature of the way that that exception is written and also by virtue of the bankruptcy rules that require that it be raised in the form of an adversary proceeding in which the state could be summoned into court in bankruptcy court anywhere in the country.
6: Well, could it be adjudicated without an adversary proceeding? Just say the debtor comes in and says, I'm giving notice to the state. If they want to come in, they can, but it's not It's I'm not going to call it, or the statute doesn't call it a summons and complaint, doesn't call it an adversary proceeding, just a proceeding to establish the status of this obligation?
1: Your Honor, I think, as Justice Scalia suggested, Congress could write <coughs> a statute that would make a student loan dischargeable, uh, more or less by operation of law. But we would submit that the way this statute is written, and again, if we look — I'm not
6: asking about making it totally dischargeable, but Congress wants to achieve this result, and sensitive to your concerns. So it says fine. We're going to make it non-dischargeable unless the student shows. Um, undue hardship. But because the State doesn't want to receive a summons and complaint, we're going to do it in a non-adversary proceeding. The student will establish it to the satisfaction of the bankruptcy court or not, and the State will be given notice but not a summons and complaint. Would that be satisfactory?
1: Your Honor, I don't believe it would. I think that in substance that would be essentially the same as the adversary complaint that that we're talking about here uh, and and under uh, under Curdelaine d'Alene and the and, and discussion uh, in other uh, similar cases, uh, the question here can't turn on the mechanics of the pleading or on the, the style of the caption. You,
5: you, you, you would have no problem with Congress's amending this statute so that it reads, uh, if the State chooses to uh, waive its sovereign immunity, the debtor has to proceed in this manner. However, if the State uh, refuses to waive its sovereign immunity by appearing in the proceeding, the debt will be automatically discharged. You, you would have no
1: problem with that, I take it. I'm not. i I'm not certain that that would not be uh, the, the same type of statute that I, I objected to a moment ago. No,
5: I thought you accepted that a moment ago. I, I thought you accepted a moment ago that Congress didn't have to provide this uh, special treatment <coughs> to the states at all. If Congress didn't have to provide it at all, Certainly, Congress could say if the State chooses not to — not to take it, not to appear in the proceeding, we'll dispense with it. I, I don't It seems to me the greater includes the lesser.
1: Well, I, I agreed, Your Honor, and I still agree that, that Congress could fashion a statute that would make student loans dischargeable in the same manner mm-hmm. uh, as, as any other debt. Uh, and in, in that case, uh, it, it, would, it would take place the same as, as any other debt. Uh, and of course, if, if the state were to waive its sovereign immunity and enter into a bankruptcy proceeding and, and voluntarily participate, then, then it, it could do so and the,
7: and the court could act accordingly without any, uh, special enabling legislation. I, I don't constantly. understand what the statute has, how the statute is involved in this. I mean, the statute just sets a standard for discharging a, uh, uh, a student uh, who has a, a, an educational loan it says it has to be undue hardship. What's wrong with that? I mean, why can't uh, — uh, there There are dozens of statutes, dozens of statutes that say, I guess dozens, I'm not a bankruptcy expert, but statutes that say you get this kind of a discharge if there hasn't been a fraudulent conveyance, but if there has been, you don't get it, and if it's this, you don't get it, and if it's that, you do get it, and uh, all these may involve debts owed to or uh, the state. Are, are you saying, uh, what is the statute to do with this? The statute just sets a standard for getting a discharge. Well, Your Honor, I, I, I believe that this statute, uh, this particular subsection
1: affecting student loan discharge, is really unique within the exceptions to All discharge. All right. Let's
7: assume it's unique. They're what is it in the Constitution or the 11th Amendment that says Congress cannot set a special standard for discharging a bankrupt from a certain kind of debt. What in in the Constitution says that if that kind of debt happens to be one that is owed to the State, Congress is forbidden to do that? I I don't — I just don't understand it.
1: Your Honor, we we do not dispute that Congress has the power to set a separate standard for this type of debt. I know, and so why
7: is the State — if it happens to be owed, that kind of money, in any sort of a different position,
1: well, the, the question is not the effectiveness of the congressional determination regarding how to handle that debt, but rather the constitutionality of the means by which chosen. Ah, it in now hand then, then you're, what you're
7: quarreling judgment. with is, of course, not the statute. You are quarreling, as Justice Ginsburg pointed out, with a bankruptcy rule that happened to use the word adversary proceeding. But suppose the rulemakers had simply said, this need not be done in an adversary proceeding. It can be done in exactly the same kind of proceeding as discharging any other kind of debt. I, the bankruptcy judge, will follow the congressional mandate as to when it is discharged. You will notify all debtors, Mr. Uh, bankrupt, including the state, and if they want to come in and protest it, they can. Now, why — what would be unconstitutional about such a provision that never uses the word adversary proceeding? Well,
1: Your Honor, our objection is not merely to the bankruptcy rules. I, I would I would repeat that, that — uh,
2: I read your position to be that the State isn't bound at all. For instance, that the bankruptcy court cannot discharge property liens held by the State. I mean, I I read your position as being that the state cannot be forced into any aspect of the bankruptcy proceeding. I guess guess you would say the state doesn't have to abide by the automatic state.
1: Oh, certainly not, Your Honor. Certainly not. Uh, And I thought that we were clear in our briefing that we we recognize that the the state would be bound by the automatic state because it's automatic. It is by
7: operation of law and by operation of the supremacy climate. I'd rather like to get the answer to the question, which is I understand what position you took in the brief. I want to know why. I want to know what the logic is. I can't find anything in the Constitution that says that Congress cannot impose the same standard in respect to discharging a debt owed to the state as it applies to a debt owed to anybody else. Now, either you agree with that proposition or you don't and if you don't and i think you don't i'd like to know what the theory is <clears throat> your honor i agree
1: that congress can make those distinctions i, I, do, I once you
7: agree it. with the proposition then all you're objecting to is the word adversary in the word adversary proceeding and it takes 3 minutes or less for a good expert simply to get wor- rid of that adversary proceeding and have the same thing done in an ordinary proceeding now I want to know the answer to what I say, not that you disagree with it. I know you disagree with it. I want to know why you disagree with it. I disagree with it because the, the legislative reports uh, as to that
1: subsection, section 523A8, uh, strongly point out that the statute, that that subsection, is intended to be self-executing, and that the creditor, the lender, the guarantor, uh, the, the guarantee institution, are not required to initiate action but instead can rely on the non-discharge, on the exception from discharge. So by, by structuring the, the exception that way, we would submit that Congress, as this Court has recognized in other situations, has given elevated status to that creditor's position, has recognized that creditors of those kinds of debts have interest in the payment of those debts that outweigh the normal uh, fresh start policy that, that that underlies bankruptcy so our position is that it does turn on the nature of the statute and not merely those bankruptcy rules that require
5: attitude ad- the statute doesn't uh, doesn't require does it that that preferred position be established
1: in an adversary proceeding certainly not by express terms your honor uh, but but again the rules pro- rules made consistent with that statute together with that legislative purpose uh, uh W- would certainly indicate that, that — And
5: I suppose you're saying this is an adversary proceeding, regardless of whether uh, — oh, exactly. regardless of how it, how it got to be so, whether it got to be so through rule or through anything else. It's an adversary proceeding, and the State cannot be hailed in in this
7: fashion. That's exactly right, Toronto. There's no dispute about that. I mean, this, this — Oh, but there is a dispute about whether you could, in fact, call this kind of adversary proceeding — Given the underlying standard that all it is is a way of getting to the same result, really not an adversary proceeding for purposes of the 11th Amendment since it has no functional difference whatsoever from a proceeding that isn't labeled adversary but simply gives the state notice of what's going on and permits the state to come in just as if it were, which is ordinary proceedings.
1: Except that ordinary proceedings in bankruptcy, as I mentioned earlier, do not involve the individualized adjudication of debts. Uh, they involve other issues. They involve marshaling the assets. They involve uh, assessing. That's the a good answer. Now, Is, I ask, what about?
4: May I ask one question? Did I understand you correctly to say that you did not contest the fact that if, if, that if they had a blanket rule that all student loans are automatically dischargeable, that would be true even if the creditor was a state? Certainly, your Honor, and uh, does that mean that you also would agree that any ordinary commercial obligation to the state such as paying rent for an, an office suite or something like that, could also be dischargeable, and there'd be no sovereign immunity problem there
1: yes your Honor and the reason the reason I agree to that is because that does not require an adjudication It, it would occur by operation of law well but by it has which to be
4: a, it has to be a final order in the bankruptcy proceeding, discharge you know giving the the debtor a discharge.
1: But we would submit that in, in, a, in a very real sense but, that would be
4: surplusage. But the, but the net result is I thought your position in your brief was somewhat different from that. That's why I wanted to be sure about it. You do agree that the that sovereign immunity is not a valid objection to a discharge of a bankrupt estate?
1: That's, that's right. When the discharge is by operation of law, and again, I would analogize to the, the situation of the automatic stay provision that, that Justice O'Connor raised, uh, again, that operates automatically. When so, but the difference in the automatic stay,
4: if the if the debtor had to go in and prove his name, serial number, and rank or something first so it wasn't completely automatic, then you would say you have a sovereign immunity objection.
1: Possibly, possibly not. Again, I would submit that there's authority from lower courts that would, would, uh, would well, possibly — I'm not
4: so much interested in the authority from the lower courts as I'm curious about your position. What exactly does the Sovereign Immunity
1: Defense protect for you? In this case, the Sovereign Immunity Defense protects the State from being made a defendant and from having compulsory process issued against it to appear in a bankruptcy court that could be in any State of the Union in this case — now, the, re- the reason I was referring to authority from other courts is to is to uh, remind the court that all of the courts that have, that have made the type of holding that Your Honor is referring to have also recognized the applicability of 11th Amendment immunity in you know, adversary see, settings. It
4: seems to be somewhat anomalous to say that if you want to do it without giving us a hearing, you can go ahead and do it. But if you give us notice and a hearing and an opportunity to respond, then you're protected by the 11th Amendment.
1: Well, I, again, I, position. again, Your Honor, I think, I think we're talking about very different things there. There is, there is quite a difference between the general discharge, which, again, occurs without uh, individualized adjudication of, of debts. Uh, that, is, that is a distinct thing under the bankruptcy laws from a situation in, in which uh, there is a proceeding involving the dischargeability of a particular All debt, such as we have here. It could well be that the
4: State filed a claim and proved up its claim, and then there's not enough money to pay it in the claim, but there would be some kind of proceeding to establish the claim. Would that be different, then?
1: Well, in, in a case where the state had filed a claim, the state would have voluntarily appeared in the in the proceeding as relates to the subject matter of that claim. So there would not be any sovereign immunity uh, situation there at all.
4: So that if the state voluntarily appears, it would automatically waive its sovereign immunity defense. As to that claim.
0: Well, that's the Gardner case, isn't it, the
1: Yes, I believe so, yes, Gardner versus new jersey
3: is, uh, tell me how bankruptcy works is, is the United States trustee potentially part of any proceeding that the trustee wants to be involved in? Can the trustee have come into this proceeding voluntarily if, if I, I, he or she chose I
1: believe so, your honor, but i'm not certain that that is applicable in every in every district uh and i'm not, i'm not i apologize I'm not certain as to that I know the u s trustees have have those powers and responsibilities uh, in at least at least a good number of bankruptcy uh, Because
3: it does seem that if an action is brought by a U.S. trustee, that's an officer that's the federal government.
1: Well, certainly, that would be a different situation, and certainly the state. There's would another
3: way of solving this problem.
1: That's right, Your Honor. That's that's conceivable. Uh, certainly, the state would have no sovereign immunity from from an action by the United States.
6: In in a world of limited resources, especially for the U.S. trustee, this is a no asset bankruptcy. Uh, if the U.S. Trustee is going to ha- come into each one of these proceedings, it might be rather impractical. But I was curious um, about the credit creditor class for these student loans. It's not just states that are creditors when a student tries to um, get out from under the student's debt. what What other entities? Would be in this uh, situation not with respect to sovereign immunity, but uh, so, uh, someone who has loan money to to a student
1: well, certainly any lending institution could could be involved as a, as a creditor in a student loan uh, the The, the uh, federal and and I guess there are state programs as well, but uh, uh, involve fairly complicated relationships between lending institutions and secondary holders and guarantors at at various levels.
6: Do you know what part of the business the states have, to what extent, uh, compared to other creditors, other lenders?
1: Well, I I can speak for the State of Tennessee. The State of Tennessee is involved as a guarantor, not as a lender, but merely as a guarantor in conjunction mainly with these these federal uh, uh, loan programs. And the State of Tennessee is participating uh not as a, a, a business actor, but as a means of, <coughs> of pursuing the public policy, of making it simpler and easier for Tennessee residents to obtain a college education. So the, the state as a guarantor is is not in this, in the position at all of an ordinary creditor, really, as far as its as far as its uh, uh purpose uh and 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 even as far as its probably its financial calculations in, in how to deal with that. Again, it's it's a matter of uh, pursuing the public policy of making it easier for for the students for these debtors to obtain uh, their college education
6: so for, for the primary lender this procedure would be fine the so the debt wouldn't be dischargeable to the uh, in, initial creditor the one that I, owns-
7: I believe
1: that I believe your honor certainly the the uh, the initial creditor uh, could certainly be involved would have no sovereign immunity defense uh, there would still be the requirement of the undue hardship showing uh
6: but if you if we congress was to say well too bad we tried to give them a break we can't do it so we're going to make them dischargeable just like any other debt that would have a very adverse effect on all the other creditors in the picture who are not state actors
1: it certainly would, Your Honor, but it also could create complications as far as, as, far as uh, uh, whether States would choose to participate <coughs> in, uh, in student loan programs. Again, it's a policy determination made state by state. There's no requirement that the States participate in, in such programs. Uh, it, it, it's part of the balancing of those interests, I think, that has resulted in this statute, and in this statute being written the way it is. Uh, at, at one point in time, not too long ago, student loans were discharged in an ordinary bankruptcy, uh, and then uh, uh, it was – it was cut back to uh, uh, only loans that had been in, in payment more than uh, – uh, more than five years – more than seven years and more than five years. And now, of course, it's cut back all the way to where it's uh, only subject to discharge upon a showing of undue hardship. So there's – there's definitely a policy uh, of wanting to make student loan repayment uh, uh, more certain and make that a, a different relationship from other uh, debtor-creditor relationships. Uh If there are no further questions from the Court at this time, I would like to reserve the remainder of our time. I would ask that the judgment of the Sixth Circuit be reversed.
0: Very well, Mr. Brand. Mr. Gerson, will hear from you.
8: Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, Uh, the questioning of the petitioner reflected the fact that there is an inherent conflict between the requirements for the operation of the bankruptcy system and a state's sovereign immunity. This conflict has been recognized in this Court's past opinions. For example, in Van Huffel v. Harkel, Road, a 1931 uh, decision of this Court, uh, it was claimed that the sale of a debtor's property free and clear of a state's tax lien was not effective because a state lacked jurisdiction. Uh, this jurisdiction over the- I'm i I'm sorry, Your Honor. The court lacked jurisdiction over the state, and this court denied that, uh, <clears throat> the state's position. Uh, subsequent to that, in Gardner, New Jersey, which is a case uh, it, that — which is noted for waiver, the state also uh, took the position that not <clears> — <throat> that the property that was a part of the debtor's estate was limited to, uh, the debtor's equity and did not include that portion of the property of the debtor that was subject to the state's tax lien. Again, this court said no, all property of the debtor is part of the estate, including that part that's subject to a state's tax lien.
0: Of course, in that case, the state had come into bankruptcy, the bankruptcy court voluntarily.
8: That's correct, Your Honor. But the opinion uh that portion of the opinion in Gardner that addresses that issue uh does not rely upon the fact that the state filed a proof of claim.
2: If um, if we were to analogize bankruptcy proceedings to NRIM proceedings in general, nevertheless this dischargeability proceeding is set up under the rules Uh, As an adversary one, where uh, a notice and a summons is filed um, on the state, Um, that's a product of how the rules are constructed. Now, presumably in time they could be changed, but uh, what about this case?
8: Um to allow this case to be determined on the basis that an adversary proceeding had been filed would be elevating form over substance, because the jurisdiction of the court with respect to the claim arises from the court's jurisdiction over the property of the estate and claims made against it and the and the debtor. They're all part of the race. So the filing of an adversary proceeding was merely a manner uh, merely allowing uh, the state to to be provided with an elevated form of notice rather than being jurisdictional uh, in addition uh, twenty eight usc two thousand hundred and seventy five states that the uh, rules bankruptcy rules uh, should not in any way abridge or modify the substantive rights that are granted under the code, and uh, I believe, in these circumstances, to allow this decision to be based upon the fact that an adversary proceeding had been filed would have the effect of abridging Ms. Hood's rights by denying well, her an opportunity uh, for hardship. What happens party. when you don't show up
5: in an adversary proceeding?
8: Uh, a default judgment. Is a default standard. judgment.
5: Yes. So how can you say? I mean. Had it not been set up this way, I would assume that the bankruptcy judge would have to make his or her own determination about whether the condition of the statute had been met. But once you have this adversary system set up, I assume the bankruptcy judge is entirely uh, within his or her rights by just saying, hey, the State hasn't shown up, the State loses. I would — I'd like uh, that, that doesn't seem to me to be elevating form over substance. That, that's a big difference.
8: Yeah, and I, I believe I incorrectly stated what would happen, Your Honor. It would, even, even in an adversary proceeding, the court would still have to, uh, find that, uh, Ms. Hood had demonstrated a right to a haunt, uh, to an undue hardship. So it, it wouldn't just go by default then if the state didn't show up? That's correct, Your Honor.
5: Do you know any other adversary proceedings that work that way? I mean, I suppose that depends on what the, uh, what the rule means. But when the rule describes it as an adversary, proceeding, I, I would take it to mean that if the other side doesn't show up, it loses.
0: Well, in, in a in an ordinary suit for money judgment, if the defendant fails to show up, he can be defaulted as to liability, but he still <coughs> has to show the, the money damages. He do, just doesn't get the amount that he says in his complaint.
8: That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. Well, is, is the amount at issue here? Uh the amount is at issue only to the extent that, uh, in order to show undue hardship, uh, Ms. Hood has to demonstrate that she can't repay it. Yeah. So.
5: But the, but the, the, the amount, how much it is, is not,
7: is not in controversy, is it? No, it's not.
0: I thought but, but What
5: is the
7: situation there? I mean, no, I don't want you just to drop this. That is, uh, is an adversary proceeding, uh, under the bankruptcy code, and there are quite a few, uh, you've said two opposite things now. Your first time you said, well, if the other party doesn't show up, the bankruptcy judge can just say, debtor, you win, okay, without looking at the merits. Then the second time you said, no, that's not really so. Uh, the bankruptcy judge has to satisfy himself that the statutory standard is met. Now, I guess this isn't the only place where there's this adversary proceeding in the code. So which is it? Is it like an adverse — and how do I find out? If you're uncertain, what do I look up to try to find out the answer to that question?
8: Uh, with JUSTICE BREYER, very often adversary proceedings are commenced in bankruptcy court, and they're necessary when the kind of action at dispute, in dispute is the equivalent of an action that could have been commenced prior to the establish, establishment of the bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It's just uh, yeah, a, p- a prior, you know, action now brought into the bankruptcy court, and then uh, the bankruptcy court could issue a default judgment because it and would I be a traditional that.
7: action. So, so maybe there are no others. Are there, are there any adversary proceedings other than this one, which isn't like what you just
0: described? Um, well, certainly maybe, an action by a trustee for a, of a, a avoidable preference would yeah, be quite but, different, would it not?
8: Uh, with respect to avoidable uh, preference, if, if uh, the defendant did uh, not demonstrate it had any defense, uh, a judgment would be issued uh, in favor of the, uh, the state because there is a presumption for avoidable preference once certain factors are met. And there you're getting money from outside
0: the estate, too. You're getting a money judgment against somebody that would uh, increase the assets of the estate.
8: Uh, that's correct, Your Honor. But um, it is not Ms. Hood's position in this case that uh, a preference action would fall within the traditional in rem jurisdiction of a bankruptcy court. And thus the state's sovereign immunity would be abrogated. So you would,
0: you would say that if the, if there were a suit for avoidable preference against the state, uh, the, the 11th
8: amendment rule would prevail? I, <clears throat> that issue is unclear, Your Honor. It's certainly not Ms. Hood's position that, uh, the 11th amendment, uh, would not prevail and there's actually a case pending before this court right now, uh, uh, Massachusetts v. H.J. Wilson, uh, where at issue is the, uh, debtor's demand for an income tax refund. So the opportunity to visit the issue of a, affirmative monetary relief against the state and its, and the ramifications of the 11th Amendment can be addressed in that case. It's certainly... I'm, we're
7: trying to get, I'm trying to get the answer still to Justice Scalia's question. Take the question Chief Justice asked. It's a preference action. That's a kind of bankruptcy action. It's in an adversary proceeding. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Now the other side doesn't show up. Okay. Forget this 11th Amendment business. I just want to know the normal thing in bankruptcy. What's the answer? If he doesn't show up, is he defaulted like a regular case outside the court or does the trustee, I mean, does the judge, the bankruptcy judge, look at the matter, and make up his own mind independently about whether it was a preference or not? How does it work? It, it, fact, would,
8: it would not be a default judgment, Your Honor. It would be a judgment on the merits. I have one
7: other technical question. Suppose we were to say. Excuse me. Right? I didn't understand
5: that answer. It would not be a default judgment. maybe a judgment on the merits. It would be I a judgment. I thought default judgments are, for all purposes, considered judgments on the merits. Uh, the purpose is a default judgment, not a judgment on the merits,
8: Oh, to, to the extent that it is, uh, there's greater flexibility of a defendant to come back and ask for reconsideration. I believe under normal.
6: That doesn't procedures. make it not a decision on the merits. It may be subject to reopening, but a default judgment is a judgment. That's correct. And it, I thought that the question we we were talking about before—that there was a clear and certain answer to the question—that that if the claim is made that there's undue hardship. Even if the state doesn't show up, even, uh, let's take the credit, be, because this is written for all creditors and not particularly with states in mind, if the creditor doesn't show up, the bankruptcy judge still has to find that there's undue hardship in order to, to make this dischargeable.
8: That's correct, Justice Ginsburg. And
6: it, where does that come from? I, that was my understanding about the way it works. But is that a statute, a rule? Where does Where does that come from?
8: I think uh, it comes from the natural reading of the statute that such a finding has to be made that there would be an undue hardship for the debtor to uh, have to repay that that loan.
5: you, You could say the same about any default judgment in a case in a tort action where the tort statute, you know, only imposes liability where the defendant has been negligent. The defendant doesn't show up. The court doesn't. Doesn't enter into its own independent inquiry as to whether the defendant was negligent. It enters default judgment. And the statute just as clearly requires negligence there as this statute requires undue hardship here.
8: The difference, the difference is, Your Honor, is that, uh, all of the property of a debtor, uh, and claims against that property, they're, they're all under the bankruptcy court's jurisdiction. So a bankruptcy court has a special obligation to re, uh, to protect uh, the interest of uh, all creditors and the estate and i believe because of that it would have a heightened responsibility to determine whether there was a basis for und- undue hardship discharge because the decision is not solely uh is, reflect- is affecting everyone
3: in the avoidable preference case it's it's as if we're the suggestion is, is that the bankruptcy court has the authority to order the REACE brought before it, uh, commanding the State to deliver the REACE, i.e. the voidable preference.
8: Well, there, there, there is a and, question. That, please. Uh, with, with regard to a avoidable preference action, whether the funds the debtor would be seeking would be part of the race because it's not in the possession of the estate, and right. certainly that distinction can be made as made in California v. Deep, v. deep Sea Research, that if the property is in the possession of the, of the state rather than the debtor, uh, a different result is required with respect to the 11th Amendment. Well, before the Bankruptcy Act in, 18, in 1978,
0: uh, bankruptcy courts couldn't try voidable preferences. That had to be in the district court, I believe.
8: That's correct, Justice Rehnquist.
7: If, in fact, we assume, let's suppose when we look into this, suppose I was to come to the conclusion that an adversary proceeding in bankruptcy is identical to a case that has nothing to do with bankruptcy in a court. You say it isn't, and maybe that's so, and we'll find out. All right. Now, if that were so, and if that meant under the court's case law that this particular adversary proceeding were invalid under the Eleventh Amendment, would the bankruptcy judge, under Section 105 or some other section, or would the Rules Committee have the power, without going back to Congress, to devise a different procedure that would get to exactly the same place, say a procedure that — had the bankruptcy judge adjudicate this under the same standard while notifying the State, like any other creditor, that it could intervene at its choice?
8: Yes, it could, Your Honor. uh, And uh, the basis for that would be to reconciling the requirements of 28 U.S.C. 2075, AND THE REQUIREMENT FOR THE BANKRUPTCY RULES, BECAUSE UNDER 105, A COURT COULD RULE THAT IT WOULD BE INAPPROPRIATE TO uh, ENFORCE THE REQUIREMENT OF uh, BANKRUPTCY RULE 7001, WHICH REQUIRES AN ADVERSARY PROCEEDING. SO 105 WOULD GIVE A BANKRUPTCY COURT THAT POWER, AND IT WOULD be, to BE AN APPROPRIATE EXERCISE OF THAT POWER.
7: AND EVEN WITHOUT 105, COULD THE RULES COMMITTEE THEN DEVISE A DIFFERENT RULE? CERTAINLY, YOUR HONOR.
6: MR. you your uh, position depends heavily on the characterization of bankruptcy proceedings as in-rem, and one can understand that about the bankrupt estate that collects whatever assets there are and distributes them, but this is a no-asset bankruptcy. So how does the in-rem characterization fit a case where there are no assets?
8: because uh the debtor itself at least the pre debtor is also considered part of the uh, the race part of the uh bankruptcy courts in jurisdiction that was reflected in hanover N- national bank free moises uh where the creditor uh complained that uh its debt had been discharged but it had never received uh no summons or complaint had ever been filed in fact a complaint it had never received notice, and this court's response was, no, bankruptcy is a form of in-rem jurisdiction, and on that basis, uh, the, <clears throat> the claim of that creditor could be discharged, even though no adversary, no summons of complaint was filed, uh, notice as a motion was sufficient. and
6: it So you're saying it's a, the debtor is not a thing, is not a race, but a debtor this is an adjudication over a status, which traditionally is also in rem.
8: That's correct, Your Honor. I know it doesn't entirely uh, fit our traditional notions of what a race is, but it's consistent with how this Court has traditionally understood the in-rem uh, jurisdiction of a bankruptcy court and the needs of a bankruptcy court to uh satisfy its uh, essential functions. Um, the kinds of contradictions that are being raised uh, in the questioning are reflective of what's happened in the circuit courts of appeal, where uh, the Fourth Circuit, uh, the Fifth Circuit, the Ninth Circuit all have recognized uh, and have stated in, in earlier opinions that um the Seminole Tribe Doctrine applied in bankruptcy, but later recognized an interim exception to allow for the discharge of a debt with respect to the Fifth Circuit and the Ninth Circuit and, uh, and the Fourth Circuit. And the Fourth Circuit also recognized that principle with respect to the uh, confirmation of a plan and its binding effect upon a state, uh, so right now, bankruptcy law is in an inconsistent muddle with respect to, uh, the applicability of the 11th Amendment. And, uh, this case allows this court an opportunity to reconcile that, uh, inconsistency. Only
6: in a small piece of it according to what you told us earlier, because you said this doesn't involve the preference question.
8: That's correct, Your Honor. Of course, this Court could rule that, given the traditional in-rem nature of a bankruptcy and the fact that, particularly uh, under the Bankruptcy Act, uh, a preference, as uh, Chief Justice Rehnquist pointed out, was not part of a bankruptcy summary jurisdiction but required a plenary action, that, in fact, actions requiring uh, any affirmative monetary relief Against the state are not part of a debtor's, are not part of a bankruptcy court's interim jurisdiction. If it chose. If there are no more questions, thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Gerson. Uh, Mr. Brand, you have four minutes remaining. Thank you, Your Honor. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it
1: please the court, the state's position in this case is that a proceeding under the law, which requires the State to make a choice between voluntarily entering the proceeding or sitting back and suffering a loss of its of its rights, <coughs> is every bit as coercive, whether it's styled as a motion or an adversary proceeding or or anything else, is every bit as coercive as a lawsuit similar to the the situation with the administrative proceedings in the Federal Maritime Commission case. Is that loss of its
5: rights automatic? What is your answer to the question of whether, if you don't show up, a default judgment is entered automatically against you, or does the bankruptcy judge have to uh, make the assessment of
1: whether there's an undue hardship? I am not certain, Your Honor, but I believe that an undue hardship showing would still be necessary. But in either, con- in either situation, the State would suffer the consequences of losing its rights uh, uh, subject to an adjudication, not subject to the mere operation of law uh, as with the general discharge at the conclusion of an, of a, an ordinary bankruptcy proceeding. Uh, as, as far as the preference uh, actions go, uh, uh, this case uh, — I'm sorry, this, this Court uh, decided in uh, Hoffman v. Connecticut, uh, which involved a preference action and even more than that, a turnover action, where there actually was property of the estate that the, the uh, uh, bankrupt trustee was, was entitled to recover, that in either of those types of situations, the 11th Amendment applied. Now, of course, that case turned on whether Congress had, had made a clear statement in the statute uh, but in any event, the Court, having found that the, that the uh, Congress did not make a clear statement of intent to override sovereign immunity, uh, applied the 11th Amendment to that preference action, that turnover action in that case. Now, in this case, we have no property. The, the, the debtor is not seeking to, to get property. The, the creditor is not seeking to make a claim out of the property of the estate. Uh, so we would submit that, that the Court can decide this case, which involves – a simple adversary proceeding on its face, the issuance of compulsory process, without even reaching the question uh, of whether uh, a similar effect w- would occur in, in a preference action or in any other type of bankruptcy action. So I'd like to emphasize to the Court that this is an unusual statute. And the question in this case is, does the 11th Amendment apply in the bankruptcy context, but that the precise circumstances of this case uh, can well limit a Court's holding to the question of whether sovereign immunity protects the state in an adversary proceeding on this particular type of statute for a particular exception from discharge. If there are no further questions. Would you tell me again, what, what's the
4: cite to the case about the turnover that you just cited? It's- uh, What is the name of the case? It's Hoffman
1: v. Connecticut, Hoffman, perhaps. Thank you. It it a it's a 1989 it case. Right. Uh, in which, in which the, the plurality of the court, uh, found that Congress had not made a clear statement of intent to override sovereign immunity, but in which two justices found that in any event, uh, Congress had no constitutional authority to override, uh, uh 11th Amendment immunity in such a setting. If there are no further questions, and yeah, we would- I had
6: re- one, and it wasn't, your brief said, well, it's not that the bankruptcy law doesn't bind the states, so that, for example, if um the state as creditor would sue this student after she's been discharged in bankruptcy. Uh she could then as a defence say I'm not liable on this debt, it's been discharged, I got the undue um, hardship finding from the bankruptcy court. That you did say that in your brief, that that would be, that, that she could have this as a defense.
1: Well, we, di- we did not mean that she would have obtained the undue hardship finding from the da- bankruptcy court, but that she could raise the issue of undue hardship uh, in whatever state proceeding was initiated by the state.
6: Why would the state ever initiate such a proceeding when it has much easier, it c- can garnish wages, it can intercept tax refunds?
1: Your Honor, may I uh, yes, answer question? Uh, the question? Yes, briefly. The answer is, as your Honor suggests, the primary, the primary means under the student loan program would be through wage garnishments and through tax intercepts. But the federal regulations and state law would afford the debtor opportunity for a- administrative proceedings to raise the undue hardship issue and prove that she should be ab- absolved from the student loan debt. So there are state remedies available uh, in the context not of a state. Uh, court thank, of- thank you, Mr. Brand. Thank the you, case ma'am. is submitted.
0: We'll hear